Welcome to The Root of the Matter, brought to you by UPL. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you fresh ideas and insights about agriculture in North America. I'm your host, Ken Root. As we move into the fall of this 2021 year, the rains and floods across the eastern and midwestern portions of the United States and Canada are in stark contrast to the long-lasting drought in the western states. At this date, there are major fires burning in California, some also in Washington and Oregon, many smaller fires as well. Agricultural interests outside the fire's immediate reach are not out of danger. The smoke plumes did significant damage to wine grapes last year and potentially this year. Even though the landscape of burning brush and trees is far away, major aspects of agriculture are related because the United States, Mexico, and Canada form a network of product distribution. To provide insight into this complex issue are two specialists from UPL, Emily Smith, who is in Fresno and a technical service manager with UPL. Emily, welcome. Thank you. How long have you been with how long have you been with the company and what's your agricultural education background? Yeah, so I started with um, Arista Life Science about three and a half years ago and then we merged into UPL. So just a total of three and a half years. Um, I actually started at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I have a degree in viticulture. Um, I have a master's degree from Fresno State in plant science, and then I went to work with UC um, University of California shortly after that for about five years, um, just doing research trials in vineyards, became a PCA and worked in the wine industry up north in Napa for about seven years, and I worked for an independent PCA firm up there and then moved into the, the chemical side of things and that. You have a wonderful background then, and from my background in California agriculture, working uh, for years with the National Ag Chem Retailers, I can understand most of the abbreviations, including PCA, which is sort of like a crop consultant in the Midwest, only with a higher level of certification. So we look forward to talking to you next few minutes. Joe Vassius is the Specialty Technical Service Lead for UPL. Joe, welcome to you. Thank you, Ken. Now, what's your curriculum vitae? <laughs> so I, uh, prior to joining UPL, I uh, completed my master's and PhD in weed science uh, at Colorado State University. Uh, then I moved out to California about nine years ago uh, when I started working with UPL, uh, originally working with uh, aquatic herbicides mainly, uh, and then moving back to the tech service role uh, where we're kind of the interface between our our R&D marketing and sales team, uh, kind of the to go between between all those different departments. So. Well, let me jump into asking you how that this year can be compared to previous years with the damage and the fires that are in your region. You know, I think it's uh, unfortunately become more and more common over the, the past few years to see more commonly occurring fires like we've seen this year. Um, I, I think that a difference this year um, versus the past seasons is that right now, at least, a lot of our uh, large wildfires, at least in Northern California, have been east of the major agricultural areas, um, where in previous seasons, we've had fires right in the heart of, uh, you know, Napa and Sonoma is, was widely publicized. So, you know, when it's 
really close to a, a growing area like that, I think there's a lot more direct impacts. Um, that being said, uh, we are still feeling some of the pain this year uh, with a lot of uh, heavy smoke drifting back into the Central Valley, uh, where a lot of ag production does occur here. So, you know, a little bit less of a, a direct impact on, on these farming communities, but definitely still being felt throughout the, the state. Now, you're in the Sacramento area, and Emily is in Fresno, uh, where that there is a major agricultural school. Emily, what are you feeling from the university and the growers and others who are trying to rise up to either understand or deal with the problems of these fires and the smoke? You know, I think that, like Joe said, this is becoming more of a common issue. And so I think there's a lot of groups that are trying to understand what growers can do to adjust to this and protect their crops. And, you know, here in the Valley, we have a lot of like stone fruit and tree nuts. Um, I'm not sure those are as susceptible, but I think certainly stone fruit could be an issue in the future as well. But as far as, you know, the big issue is great. And we didn't have as many fires this year in the Central Valley but there's still quite a bit of smoke up north. And so I think that that is a really important thing to focus on just for, you know, wine grape um, production moving forward. And so there's some groups looking at different products that they can use to spray on the fruit itself and see if they can somehow prevent the smoke from seeping in through um, the skin of the grape. And, I, you know, I'm glad that somebody is doing this and taking the initiative if there is even, you know, some sort of management technique that we can use. Um, I think it's pretty far-fetched. I'm not sure that there's much that you can do. I think that if you spray a product, you know, something like calcium carbonate that's going to coat the, the grapes to try to prevent the smoke taint from, you know, going in through the cuticle and affecting the juice within, I think that um, the coating would have to be pretty thick. But, you know, nonetheless, I think that there are still some products being looked at and, you know, someone has to start somewhere, I guess, because like Joe said, this is going to be a problem for our future, I think. Let me talk about the fact that underlying all of this is drought. And some of these growers have lost their water supply, as I understand it. Emily, for you first, uh, how much is this just long-term drought and loss of water supply affecting these people on their productivity? Yeah, so here in the valley, for sure, it's affecting a lot of the tree nuts. You know, pistachios are more of a drought-tolerant crop, so I can imagine that we'll see more of that more of that crop going in. But um, almonds already this year, you know, some guys are losing their trees here and there. They're falling over. Um, wherever they've been able to pay for water, they've probably been okay. But even still, the trees probably aren't getting as much water as they as they normally need. You know, these are pretty big crops that these growers are setting, and it's it's just going to decrease from year to year. The nuts right now are already smaller. They don't have the size that I think um, some of the growers are used to just because of a lack of water or movement of nutrients. With a lack of water, when the trees want to set fruit for the following season, it's just going to affect the crop load for the following season as well. And I think that we're just going to see a decrease in crop load or at least, you know, nut size, which is going to affect how much the growers get paid and all of that. Joe, what would you add to this from your perspective? You know, I think uh, Emily is spot on, on on the impacts on a lot of the tree and vine crops. Um, I think the, the other part of this is looking at annual crops. So here in Northern California, uh, we generally have around 500,000 acres of, of rice production. Um, and because of the 
uh, lack of availability of water this year and the increased costs to acquire that water. Um, you know, early estimates that I was hearing was about 20% of that land was left fallow this year. So, you know, just overall productivity uh, in annual crops is another thing we're facing where uh, growers are going to just have to prioritize their water to develop, to see a crop clear through on, on a smaller amount of their acres just to get it to harvest. So um, effect is, is very uh, wide reaching. Well, I can see that. And uh, the fact that they have may have gotten into a mindset that this won't end uh, or it's going to be uh, tailing off very slowly. Um, are you seeing some changing of cropping? I know uh, pistachios went in several years ago because they could do it with less labor. And now Emily says that uh, pistachios also don't take as much water. So are we going to see some changes in cropping within the area just because of the circumstances presented to the growers right now? Uh, I have no doubt of that. I think, you know, they're going to continue to evolve um, to what they're able to produce the best. Um, you know, the other thing I think, too, is in these years where um, water availability is down, sometimes that's a good opportunity for uh, growers that are that have orchards getting near into their lifespan to go ahead and push those out and maybe replant where, you know, in the short term, at least they're not going to need um, as much water. So, uh, I mean, you definitely see a lot of different things happening at the same time, um, but the, the water is uh, a factor in a lot of those decisions. I may have overstepped myself here, of, you know, trying to say I'm a grower and here's what I would do, but could both of you uh, take a moment here and speak like you think you're growers are in what's going through their head right now in dealing with this. Emily, I'd start with you. That's a really, that's a really difficult um, situation to put myself in. You know, I think a lot of guys are just trying to plan for the future. I think that they're probably thinking, do we stick with the current crop that we have or do we do we look at another crop? You know, like pistachios, it's more drought tolerant, but it's also very expensive to plant pistachios and it takes years. I, I want to say like eight or nine years to get a crop. So where some, you know, some growers might feel like we should just stick with what we have. I think in terms of grapes, you know, the market there is, is down and water is such an issue and they, you know, they need quite a bit of water. I, you know, I think that more grapes are going to go out, but it's really hard to speak from their perspective because there's probably so many things that I'm not even thinking of as their livelihood, you know, and it's such a long-term plan that I think some of them might even be hoping that the drought is going to be over soon, you know, so that they don't have to deal with this. But I think they're trying to plan for the future, but also hope that the situation gets better. That's just my opinion. Is there insurance? Is there crop insurance? There At least is, on an annual yes. basis helps out. Yes, there is. So um, I have friends who have crop insurance for grapes, for wine grapes, and I'm sure that the, the tree nut growers have crop insurance as well. Joe, how about your description of what you think goes through a grower's mind or the, the difficulty that they're facing, which in many cases, these are just like other farmers. There are multiple generations that have lived and produced on that land, and now they're being given a very difficult set of decisions to make. You know, at this point, it's just a lot of uncertainty, right? Um, I think that political climate factors into that uh, uncertainty about, you know, even those that have had fairly stable water supplies in the past or some have bought 
uh, property, you know, maybe trying to relocate to areas where they feel they have better water rights, more senior water rights where they have more consistent water supply. You know, things have gotten bad enough this year that even those uh, longstanding water rights are being impacted this year. So I think it's, uh, you know, people are trying to adjust, um, do what they think is best to to maintain those, you know, maybe multi-generational farms. Um, but right now, I'd say there's just a lot of air of uh, uncertainty of uh, over access to water and, and what the future is going to hold. Well, certainly they wouldn't be the first Californians to take a look at going somewhere else to farm, uh, but it is a disruptive thing. And those of us in the Midwest who think that our land prices are high um, have no idea what the value of the land is and the cost of production is in your part of the world on those specialty crops. I've almost gotten teary a couple of times here because I realized that grapes seem to be one of the most susceptible crops to this smoke. Uh, let alone burning down the winery, but the smoke that would come in and taint the grapes that happened last year. Emily, you've got the degrees in this that you've stated, but I'm sure Joe's got the experience as well. Let me just have you give us a little primer on what happens when smoke gets on wine grapes. When smoke is in the air, like we had last year, and even a little bit of this year, probably further up north, it's overcast with smoke. You know, it's, it's in the air. You can smell it. Sometimes there's ash. When the grapes are exposed to smoky air for long periods of time, um, it's going to get in through the cuticle. The grapes take it in and it will affect the juice. And what a lot of people learned in the past couple years is that you can harvest the grapes and they seem fine. And I have a friend who has a family winery uh, up on Mount Beater and they got it pretty bad a couple years ago. But they decided to harvest everything and put it into the barrels anyway. They have some really high-end red wine. Um, and it tasted really good at first. And then about three months later, they went back and tasted it again and realized it all tasted like smoke and probably even worse than smoke. You know, whatever you can imagine, wine infused with smoke from the air. Um, and so they dumped thousands and thousands of gallons of um, grape juice. And that's what a lot of people are dealing with. And, you know, it depends on when they're harvested, what time the fires are starting. I mean, I think that after a prolonged period of time, if they're exposed to smoky air, it's going to happen. To what degree, they don't really know. There's some parameters that they test for now. So a lot of growers sent in samples to the lab last year up in St. Helena, and um, it was pretty backed up because... Everybody had issues last year. Smoke was covering the state, you know, and wineries use it as an excuse to get out of contracts. Last year was a tough year because of COVID. Tourism was down. They really kind of wanted an excuse to not buy grapes. And so if there was a certain level, and I guess it says it in the contract, there's a certain level of smoke paint, which is what they measure for at the lab. And maybe Joe can speak, you know, to a little bit more of this, but I don't know the exact levels. Um, they can cancel a contract. So a lot of contracts were canceled last year. And I don't know how bad it is this year, but if the grapes, you know, like the high-end reds are going to stay on until October, November, if we get worse smoke, they'll be more susceptible. Whereas like I have a friend who's harvesting champagne grapes and she's almost done and she probably will have no issues this year. You know, if the white grapes are coming off, the red grapes hang longer. And unfortunately the red grapes are what they make all their money on um, or a lot of the money, you know, in Napa comes from the red wine. So that's kind of the gist of it. But it's, it's a problem and the supply will be an issue. You know, if, if wineries aren't buying 
grapes and they're not making wine or the grapes are tainted with smoke, then, you know, they can't be, they can't be used, period. There's really nothing you can do about that once it happens. Well, that's insightful. And in areas that I never thought about on getting out of contracts in a COVID year or something of that nature, but I'm sure as growers, you know, you want to produce and as uh, wineries, you want to produce. Um, but yet, you know, making decisions on this uh, can be very expensive. So, Joe, let me turn to you on I know a program that UPL has been working on that's trying to help growers evaluate how much smoke damage they have. Yeah. So, um, you know, as, as Emily mentioned, um, you know, they are testing for these uh, these smoke tank compounds in the grapes. Um, you know, there's still a lot of research going on on this, I think, to see what, you know, a critical level of exposure is or, you know, how much smoke exposure do you exactly need before you have that to maybe try to forecast what's going on. Um, you know, building on that, though, UPL did develop a, a tool with a, another company, a digital partner that we have called Sixth Grain. Um, and this is called the UPL Crop Safe Platform. So that SAFE is an acronym for smoke and fire events. So uh, what what this tool does is it will let you look at the current fires that are ongoing in the states. You can look at the air quality using a satellite and then publicly available data as well. Uh, but then a step beyond that as well, uh, it actually logs cumulative smoke impacts. So, you know, looking at how much smoke a certain area has had at a certain intensity during that entire growing season. So uh, while we may not know the, you know, the critical value for that yet, at least it may let you know where you need to be on the lookout most for it based on the most exposure that you've had, um, you know, or, or other factors that might affect your harvest or even your worker safety out in the field um, in terms of, you know, current smoke conditions too. So yes, yes. Uh, your workers in the field, that hits a nerve here. Can you get readings to the point that you actually know uh, how much damage to lungs or exposure to smoke that the workers may have gotten? So I think that information is, um, you know, that's relatively widely available. Um, this tool will provide that for for the growers as well in a, a convenient format. Um, you know, I know that Cal- state of California uh, and then more recently, even this summer, Washington um, enacted some laws and some new rules to try to protect growers too. looking at that air quality index, which looks at, um, you know, how much particulate matters in the air and where they know. Um, you know, damage to farm workers could occur. So at that point, that kind of triggers some additional rules uh, in terms of providing um, those working out in the fields with uh, respirators or disposable masks, um, looking at the amount of time they're spending in the fields, uh, and then just any other thing they can do to uh, try and and reduce smoke exposure for these growers. So, um, you know, I think this is definitely a tool that can kind of help guide those decisions or knowing when that's going to be an issue for you as well. That's crop safe that is provided by UPL. And I'm sure that if people contact either of you, you can instruct them on how to be able to uh, uh, hook into the system to be able to at least read what's going on in their area, right? Correct. And yeah, and that can actually be just accessed. It's a UPL crop safe, all one word dot com. Uh, and that'll give you access to that site. No login or anything needed. So I wanted to ask you which of the crops you see 
in decline in volume coming out of California or the region this year for either one of you to answer. And uh, what else you're concerned about with the California growers brought on by lack of water and increased hazard in the atmosphere? You know, in, in terms of what's going on this year, I think we, we kind of touched on that. I think that the more immediate impacts are probably going to be felt on those those annual crops, um, while those that do have those longer term investments in a lot of the tree nut and vine crops are going to try to get by the best they can in, in hopes that we have a, a better year. So I think that the the most immediate impact will be in in those annual crops. Like I mentioned, you know, things like rice acres being down 20% is a, a pretty large blow in terms of that overall production. Beyond that, some of the other impacts, because of all the, the dry weather and the resulting fires, um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, they've observed during almond harvest, which is ongoing right now, uh, with a lot of that smoke in the air and, and poor air quality, you know, they see prolonged drying once those almonds are shaken and, and dropped on the ground, uh, which can delay, you know, all of the processing and everything and also leave them more susceptible to uh, to more diseases developing like whole rot while they're sitting out there um, trying to dry. Um, you know, beyond that, you know, in rice, they've seen delayed maturity um, of a couple days, you know, maybe a little longer just due to filtered sunlight making its way down as that rice matures. Um, and there was reports last year, too, in raisin grapes of uh, delayed sugar accumulation and then drying of those grapes as well, which really can impact, you know, a lot of the times, not necessarily the yield, but just the logistics and trying to get those crops out of the field as well. Do either of you speak cotton to the point that it's being affected other than lack of water, lack of yield? Yeah, you know, I drew, I drove by some cotton fields just yesterday. They actually look really good. They're starting to... Um they're starting to defoliate them. You know, cotton acres are down every single year. And I don't know if that's just because, you know, growers are wanting to plant other things and invest in other things. But cotton acres are always down. I'm sure that that's not an ideal crop to have when it comes to water being an issue. But I can speak to uh, the grape crop. And there's when grapes don't get enough water, they don't set like they should and the bunches don't look as full. And so I'm sure that there's a lot of grape acres that don't have the tonnage that they would like. I know for sure up in Napa, they're used to a lot of rain over the winter time and they don't really have to water that much. But this year it was so dry that they still did not water. And when it came time for spring and the grapes to push and all of that, um, they noticed a huge, huge impact. The shoots were really short. The clusters were pretty small, um, and there is a lack of tonnage up north just because of the lack of rain um, in itself. And they might have plenty of water to put on, but it's kind of an interesting situation in that they should have been watering all winter, and they don't normally have to do that, so they sort of got caught off guard. Um, and then that's going to impact the crop for next year, too. So all of these impacts this year in specialty crops and permanent crops are going to affect next year's crop, definitely. My two guests are Emily Smith, who's technical service manager for UPL, and Joe Vassius, who is a specialty technical service lead for UPL. I wonder, to finish up here, uh, what comes next? You know, you can't burn all this area off every year unless you get a new source of uh, material, and it doesn't appear you're getting enough rain to, uh, to get uh, much to grow, and yet the water reduction continues to go on 
uh, and we don't know if or when that will change. We haven't brought up climate change itself, but I would welcome you to do so if you feel that you know there's a direct link here that you're seeing. Joe, I'd ask you this. Where do we go from here in your area of the country that's counted on being so productive of such high-value crops and yet faced with the dilemma that you've described over the last half hour? You know, I think that, uh, you know, we have seen these changes, um, be they, you know, just, uh, you know, climate changes you reference, just these general trends, um, or just uh, a changing landscape of in terms of demographics and uh, what's being grown here in California. People here have become very resilient because of this, and I think everyone is still uh, hoping for the best. And I think that uh, the one good thing is that uh, a lot of people out of necessity with this are looking at new technologies where they can to try to, you know, be more efficient in their watering or implement new things to uh, mitigate drought stress in their plants. You know, I, I think that a lot of these innovations are probably going to help things persist here in California and continue to be the productive area that it's been uh, historically as well. Well, it is of note that both of you um, have certainly the background to be able to talk about this from a technical aspect. And we've mentioned only the welfare of those people that you're concerned about who are the growers who may or may not use your products, but certainly are a part of our agricultural system that we count on so much. So, and your help to these growers is very much appreciated from where I sit. And uh, I hope that both of you are able to stay out of harm's way and to continue to serve in the capacity that you have. So, Emily Smith, thank you very much. Of course. Thanks, Ken. This was great. And Joe Vassius, thank you very much. And uh, keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Thank you for the time, Ken. Thanks for listening to The Root of the Matter, sponsored by UPL. New episodes will be available every other Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Have a great day.